Welcome to the 145th podcast and the 115th as a city on a hill church. This is the fourth and last part of the end-of-year prophecy update, and it is entitled Aliens, Mark of the Beast, and Sexual Deviancy. Although the previous three messages were extremely important, I believe this one rises to the level of being absolutely vital. Time is running out for your lost and dying friends and family. When Jesus returns, the race ends for all of us. That said, the information contained in this message will profoundly affect your witness and give you even greater strength in these final days as you make your case for Christ. Listen all the way to the end, please. It's absolutely vital that you do. So, without another word from me, here is Pastor Michael Clark. Okay, we are about to conclude this series. It ended up as a four-part message. And uh, this is the final message. I encourage you to go back and listen to the other three messages. I just checked, I think we have 350 views on YouTube of these three messages in the last three weeks, not to mention the podcast. So um, there's another probably several hundred uh, listens or downloads on the podcast. So again, this is a very popular subject where you're talking about the second coming of Christ and you're talking about the end times and uh, what the Bible has to say about the conditions of the world before Jesus Christ comes back for his church and then ultimately comes back to set up his kingdom. The series we've entitled, Behold, I Come Quickly. This is part four. And the subtitle of this message this morning is Aliens, the Mark of the Beast, and Sexual Deviancy. And I'm hoping I could get through all of my notes here this morning. I'm going to go quickly. And so I encourage you to listen, jot down notes, listen to the message again later so that uh, you, can, uh, you, you can follow along on your own in the Bible. So we're going to start in Revelation chapter 13 and verse 13. If you have your Bibles and you'd like to open up there, you're welcome to do so. Revelation, last book of the Bible. And notice it's not revelations, it's not plural. It's revelation, singular. Because it's not the revelations of Jesus Christ. In chapter 1, it's the revelation of Jesus Christ. So Revelation chapter 13 And verse 13 says this. And he performs great signs so that he even makes fire come down out of heaven to the earth in the presence of men. And he deceives those who dwell on the earth because of the signs which it was given him to perform in the presence of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who had the wound of the sword and has come to life. And there was given to him to give breath to the image of the beast, that the image of the beast might even speak and cause as many as do not worship the image of the beast to be killed. And he causes all, the small and the great, and the rich and the poor, and the freemen and the slaves, to be given a mark on their right hand or on their forehead. And he provides that no one should be able to buy or to sell except the one who has the mark, 
either the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for the number is that of a man, and his number is 666, or 666. Now, the first part of this section that we just read, we're going to focus on the first part here initially, and then we'll look at the mark of the beast later. But the first part of what we just read talks about the false prophet who comes and performs great signs so that he makes even fire come down out of heaven to the earth in the presence of men, and he deceives those who dwell on the earth because of the signs which it was given him to perform. Now, Satan is a counterfeiter. He duplicates and imitates everything that God does. And so you have a, uh, you have a false trinity that's taught to us here and revealed to us here in the book of Revelation. Satan comes as an imitator, as a counterfeiter to God. And so you have the dragon, which is the devil, mentioned in Revelation 12 and 13, earlier in the chapter. The dragon is the devil. You have the Antichrist, which is the false Christ, or the one who comes in the place of Christ to deceive the whole world. And then you have the false prophet. And so you have a trinity of sorts. Satan is always trying to counterfeit the real thing and to deceive people, to dupe people, because he can't come up with anything on his own. He just copies what God does and then twists it. And so you have a, a false trinity that's mentioned there that's going to be used to deceive the whole world. The dragon, the Antichrist, and the false prophet. Um, the dragon would be uh, imitating God or in the place, a counterfeit for God the Father. The Antichrist, again, a counterfeit for Jesus Christ. And uh, the false prophet would be the counterfeit to the Holy Spirit. And so you, you have this man who comes, who's empowered by Satan to perform lying signs and wonders. He's going to be calling fire down from heaven. He's going to be performing inexplicable miracles right before everybody's eyes. And people are going to be absolutely sold out to this guy. They are going to buy into what he's selling. Uh, there are going to be supernatural phenomenon, things that are supernatural. They're not natural uh, things. That's what defines a miracle, something that's not normal by our normal laws of science that people can't explain with our normal understanding of scientific law. These are miracles, and this is what this individual uh, is going to do. And we would expect then to see lying signs and wonders, of uh, uh, supernatural phenomena taking place with increasing frequency and increasing intensity as we get closer to the time of the end. Uh, there is so much. I encourage you to go back and listen to the other three messages. And there's so much more that we could talk about. We just don't have the time. But everything that the Bible said would be happening in the last days with increasing frequency and intensity, like the birth pangs of a woman uh, who's about to give birth to a child, all of these signs are happening today, right before our eyes. And, you know, we would have to be dumb, deaf, and blind to not see that we are living in what the Bible described 2,000 years ago as the last days. 
If we're looking for lying signs and wonders and inexplicable miracles and supernatural phenomena, then we would expect to see an increase in ghosts and haunted houses and demonic activity and witchcraft and the practice of the occult and UFOs and aliens would fall under this same category as we're going to see here uh, in just a minute. And what do we see? Do we see an increase in all of these paranormal activities? Yes, we do. As a matter of fact, it's become very popular fodder for Hollywood in making movies and television programs and so forth. There are so many uh, TV shows now glorifying Lucifer and glorifying the occult and glorifying witchcraft and glorifying Satan himself. It's, it's unparalleled really in, in human history uh, to have so much of the occult being experimented with and people delving into it, especially younger people, teenagers, uh, who are looking for something beyond this world, something supernatural that they could touch and that they could experience. Because again, God has put a void within every human being that could only be filled by Him. And so we try and seek these things uh, that don't fill us, but we're looking for something to satisfy us because the things of this world will not satisfy us, can never satisfy us because we all have a God-shaped void within us that only God can actually truly fulfill. In 2 Thessalonians in chapter 2, we read this concerning the last days in verse 3. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 3, I'll read it to you. Let no one in any way deceive you, for it will not come, and he's speaking of the day of the Lord in, in, in verse 1, that day of the Lord will not come, unless the apostasy comes first, and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God. Do you not remember that while I was still with you, I was telling you these things? And you know what restrains him now, so that in his time he may be revealed, for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. And just as an aside, we believe that the one who is restraining the Antichrist is the Holy Spirit. When it's speaking about He who is restraining the Antichrist, He's speaking about the Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, that indwells the church. And this is why we believe the church will not be here to see the Antichrist or to be here for the tribulation period. We believe that the church will be taken to heaven first at the rapture before the Antichrist is revealed. Because right now the Antichrist is being restrained uh, by, by someone, you know what restrains him now so that in his time he may re be revealed for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. I believe this is speaking of the Holy Spirit that is restraining. He is restraining the spirit of the Antichrist and the devil. The devil wants to be ruling now. Something is preventing him. And if you imagine what this world would be like if you removed every single born-again Christian from planet Earth, what that would do to the governments and the politics and the economics of this world if you removed, and the morality, 
You see, we're kind of a, we're, we're kind of a, a wall to keep, to keep it in check, to keep evil in check. We are a barrier as the church to keep evil in check. If you remove the church, evil will go unchecked and will grow worse and worse. And so uh, this one can't come until the restrainer is moved out of the way. And when he is taken out of the way, verse 8, then that lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord will slay with the breath of his mouth and bring to an end by the appearance of his coming. That is, the one whose coming is in accord with the activity of Satan, with all power and signs and false wonders. So there you have signs and wonders again. And with all the deception of wickedness for those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. And for this reason, verse 11, God will send upon them a deluding influence or a strong delusion so that they might believe what is false in order that they may be judged who did not believe the truth but took pleasure in wickedness. And so the Bible talks about a strong delusion that God is going to permit the unbelievers to experience because they've rejected Jesus Christ. And after they've rejected Jesus Christ, the church ages over and the church is taken to heaven at the rapture. Then man is going to get uh, the devil. They're going to get the Antichrist. They didn't want the, the real one. They didn't want Jesus. They're going to get the devil's man. Uh, and, and he's going to come with lying signs and wonders, a strong delusion in order to deceive uh, those who are not the elect, those who are part of the apostasy in the last days. And apostasy is a falling away from the true faith, which we also see happening uh, throughout Christendom today. Now we know in Revelation chapter 9, we looked at this last week, but in Revelation chapter 9, we're told that there would be pharmakia or sorcery that would be practiced during the tribulation period. And it says that they would not repent of their sorceries, those who are here during the tribulation period. Now, sorcery uh, or pharmakia uh, is the idea of primarily the use of mind-altering drugs or even strong alcohol in order to make contact with the spiritual realm, in order to thin the veil, as it were, between the material realm and the spiritual realm to make contact with spiritual beings, uh, uh, i.e. otherwise known as uh, demons, the demonic world. And so uh, this is going to be prominent. This is going to be happening during the tribulation period and leading up to the tribulation period. Sorcery is going to be practiced wholesale by people on planet Earth. This is opening the doors, the forbidden doors, to the spiritual realm. Uh, this is happening through the practice of, of Ouija boards, uh, seances, clairvoyance, tarot card reading, witchcraft, and the practice of the occult, which is happening all over the place today like never before. It's become normalized. As a matter of fact, I just read a news article that there is a series now on Netflix uh, with the woman who's the founder of uh, Goop, I think the name of it is. She's a multimillionaire, and she's totally new age, and she actually has a clairvoyant there that does a, you know, basically a seance to call someone's dead loved one to speak to them on camera for the TV. 
And, and so you talk about opening Pandora's box. Once you open Pandora's box, you can't put everything back in once you take the lid off uh, in mythology. And the same thing is true here with people practicing witchcraft and trying to contact the dead, necromancy, forbidden by God. Uh, because you're, gonna get, you're not going to get your dead loved one. You're going to get some deceiving demon who's going to trick you. Uh, and and this, is, this is how people open the doors uh, to the enemy and to the spiritual realm. And it's, it's happening, guys. It's happening all over our country today. And it's becoming more and more popularized, normalized, etc. As the church gets weaker and weaker uh, in, in our country, and the church is, is really less effective in being salt and light to the world, we see the enemy coming to backfill that void. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, uh, we're told that Satan himself uh, is a beautiful creature. 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen says, Even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. You know, the Bible never tells us that Satan has horns and red scaly skin and, you know, cloven feet and a forked tongue and a forked tail and a pitchfork. The Bible never describes the demons this way or Satan this way. As a matter of fact, Satan was the most beautiful creature, the most beautiful angel that God ever created. It is interesting if you study where we get those pictures and images of demons and Satan's the ugly, hideous, scary monsters from, you really go back to the uh, Renaissance period and the artists in the Renaissance period or even before the medieval times uh, where they wanted to scare people to get them away from witchcraft and sorcery that was being practiced throughout the world, especially throughout Europe where the church was growing. And they wanted to scare children and scare people and make them out to be scary creatures. But the Bible never describes the devil as an ugly, scary creature. He's a beautiful creature. He, he was the most beautiful creature that God ever made. In Ezekiel chapter 28, uh, we read this concerning the devil, concerning Satan before his fall. Ezekiel chapter 28 verse 12 says this, Thus says the Lord God, You had the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. God is speaking about Lucifer, Satan before he fell, when he was a good angel. God says you were perfect. You had the seal of perfection. You were full of wisdom and you were perfect in beauty. He was a beautiful angel. The most beautiful of all the angels, apparently. Verse 13, toward the end of the verse, it says this, on the day that you were created, they were prepared. You were the anointed cherub who covers. And I placed you there. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked in the midst of the stones of fire. You were blameless in your ways from the day that you were created until unrighteousness was found in you. By the abundance of your trade, you were internally filled with violence and you sinned. Therefore, I have cast you as profane from the mountain of God, and I have destroyed you, O covering cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom by reason of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I put you before kings that they may see you. 
And so God is recording for us the before and after of the fall of the angel who was Lucifer. Lucifer means shining one or beautiful one or light bearer. Uh, and, and yet he became Satan, which is the adversary and the devil, which is the liar and the deceiver when he fell, when iniquity and sin was found within him. And, and his sin was pride. Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. So pride was the first sin uh, ever recorded really in the scriptures uh, that was the sin of pride. And, uh, and, and pride is still the root of all sin, really, actually. So Satan was perfect in beauty. Lucifer was gorgeous. He was a gorgeous angel. He still is a gorgeous angel. You see, he doesn't come and appear to people as a scary monster or nobody would like him. He appears to people as what they want to see. Something beautiful. Someone gorgeous. Someone interesting. Someone wise. Profound. Deep in theology and wisdom of, uh, uh, of the ancients. And so uh, this is part of the last day's deception. And I believe that the aliens that are appearing to people and taking people to their spaceships and all of these things that are being reported like never before, uh, I believe that this is an indication of the demonic activity. Satan just finds a different way to reach a different generation of people. And aliens are merely demons that have been appearing to man for thousands of years. As a matter of fact, if you go all the way back to the book of Genesis, you see that the angels uh, were active then on planet Earth before the flood of Noah. In Genesis chapter 6 and verse 1, we read this concerning uh, the, the fallen angels. Now it came about, Genesis 6, 1, when men began to multiply on the face of the land and daughters were born to them, that the sons of God saw that the daughters of men were beautiful and they took wives for themselves, whomever they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever because he is also flesh. Nevertheless, his days shall be 120 years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterward when the sons of God came into the daughters of men and they bore children to them. Those were the mighty men who were of old, men of renown. Now, some Bible teachers and scholars will say that these sons of God were not angels. But the very word, the phrase sons of God, which in the Hebrew is ben ha Elohim, sons of God, the only time that phrase is used is when it's talking about angels in the Bible. It's never talking about anyone else but angels. As a matter of fact, you could read Job chapter 1 and Job chapter 2, where it says the sons of God came to present themselves before God, and Satan also came with them. And so um, you really have a problem if you're, if you're taking the Bible literally. You're, you have a big problem if you say that these are not fallen angels, because that's what, they, that's what the words mean. The sons of God, Ben Ha Elohim. It's only used for angels in the Bible. And so we know these are not good angels. We know that these are bad angels. Peter actually talks about these angels that they uh, left their first abode. They crossed a line they weren't allowed to cross. And now they're kept in a place of judgment and darkness uh, in hell and uh, Tartarus where they're bound in chains until the final judgment uh, because they left their first abode. They crossed a, a line they weren't supposed to cross by coming down 
and uh, procreating with, with the daughters of men and having offspring. Now, it is interesting if you study all of the ancient mythologies of the ancient world, what do you see? You see that they worship Zeus. You see that they worship Jupiter and Mars. Uh, you see that they worship all Odin, the Vikings, and all of these gods uh, from the heavens that came down from the heavens to the earth. And as they came down from the heavens to the earth, some of these gods actually procreated with women and had children, and they became the demigods or the half-gods, half-men. And they were great, like Perseus and through the uh, legends of uh, Homer and Odysseus and, and the Greek mythologies and the Roman mythologies. Where did all of that come from? You see, the Bible talked about this long before the Greeks and the Romans came up with their mythologies. And a lot of times the mythologies are a, uh, you know, kind of uh, a mirror into or an image of reality. And they're trying to, you know, somehow keep a memory alive of something that happened in the past. And so uh, these uh, angels, these fallen angels have been coming from the heavens to make contact with men uh, since the fall, since the fall of Satan and then since the fall of, of man, Adam and Eve. In Genesis chapter 11, we're told that men immediately began after the flood to build the Tower of Babel. Why? So they could reach the stars of heaven. And the implication is, is to make contact with the, the stars, the beings in the stars. To make contact with them, no doubt. Uh, because they remembered that the, the, the angels came down from the heavens and were influencing planet Earth before the flood. It's one of the reasons God sent the flood, apparently. Uh, was because of the uh, uh, influence of these demonic beings that came and started interacting with man upon the earth. It is interesting that Jesus tells us in Matthew 24 that before he comes back, it's going to be just like it was in the days of Noah before the flood. And what did you see happening in the days of Noah before the flood? You saw demons coming down and uh, actively engaging with mankind and being a part of uh, the uh, the world of men and and you know really uh, influencing us here. So we we know that all of the the ziggurats, all of the pyramids, the Egyptian pyramids, and the ziggurats in, in in Asia and in Central America and in South America, all of these towers to heaven. If you read these ancient people's writings, these ancient scientists and, and uh, priests and so forth and what they were doing. Why did they build these temples? Why did they build these pyramids? It was for the purpose of contacting the stars, communicating with beings from other planets, other universes or other galaxies to try and uh, uh, call down, as it were, those beings from outer space to come down and to give them wisdom, to give them enlightenment. They had all kinds of complex mathematics the Egyptians had, you know, pi and all of these complex geometrical uh, formulas and al algebraic formulas that we didn't know for 3,000 years. We finally discovered the math that they knew 3,000, 4,000 years ago. Where did it come from? How did they all build the same sorts of structures all over the world when they didn't even know each other, when they couldn't communicate with each other? Why were they all building uh, uh, you know, uh, towers, as it were, or ziggurats or pyramids in order to make communication possible with beings from the stars all over the world three four thousand years ago 
Well, because Satan has always been trying to come down from the heavens to influence the earth and to influence man. They were trying to make contact with celestial beings. In Ephesians chapter 6, Paul the Apostle tells us that we battle not against flesh and blood, but our battle is against powers and principalities, against world forces of this darkness, against spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. You know, Jesus cast out a lot of demons when he was here on the earth. So for people to not believe in the demonic realm and to, to think that somehow it's not true, uh, it's, it's, it's just ignorance. Because the Bible is uh, replete with information about the demonic realm being real. And the enemy is always trying to get in to our world and to influence our world. In Deuteronomy, in chapter 32, Moses says this in verse 16 as he was giving his final charge to the nation of Israel before he died. Deuteronomy 32, 16 says, They made him jealous, speaking of God the Father, they made him jealous with strange gods or by going after other gods. With abominations, they provoked him to anger. They sacrificed to demons who were not God, to gods whom they have not known, new gods who came lately, whom your fathers did not dread. And so the Bible makes it very clear that all of the other gods that are worshipped, so-called gods that are worshipped, are actually demons. They sacrificed to demons. They went after strange gods. In Psalm 106, in verse 36, we read this. And they served their idols, or their false gods, Psalm 106.36, which became a snare to them. They even sacrificed their sons and their daughters to the demons, and they shed innocent blood, the blood of their sons and their daughters, whom they sacrificed to the idols of Canaan, and the land was polluted with their blood." So the idols of the ancient world, the other gods that were worshipped, Baal, Ashtoreth, Molech, all of these other gods that were mentioned and worshipped in the ancient world, the Bible says they were devils. They were demons who were deceiving people. And ultimately, the devil wants power and the devil wants our children and the devil wants blood. And uh, they were actually even sacrificing their sons and daughters to Molech and to Ashtoreth and to Baal. Uh, Baal, the, the children of Israel were, and that's when God brought his judgment. By the way, I don't think uh, abortion is any different. I think abortion today is, is no different. It's child sacrifice. We are, we are murdering babies. 60 plus million babies, guys, have been murdered in the wombs of their mothers. And we just kind of accept it. We just kind of look the other way and think it's okay. It's not okay with God. You know, women say, well, what about the right to choose? Well, what about the baby's right to live? You know, that child has a right too. 
A right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Supposed to be enshrined by our Constitution, enshrined uh, by our Declaration of Independence. And, And so, where's their right? Where's the baby's right to life, to freedom, and to pursuit of happiness? Why does the mother's right supersede the baby's right? And so uh, I believe that uh, we are uh, uh, building up judgment and God's judgment will come upon our nation if we don't overturn Roe v. Wade uh, and we don't stop abortion on demand as a normal acceptable practice in our country because God judged every other people that slaughtered their babies throughout history. Even Israel uh, was ultimately judged by God because they offered their sons and their daughters to the demons. So the aliens, uh, we looked at it a little bit last week. The UFOs now are real. Everybody knows UFOs are real. The military's admitting it and so forth. Uh, and, and so we looked at that a little bit last week. I encourage you to listen. Uh, if you're interested in this subject, uh, listen to the message from last week. But don't be deceived, guys. These aliens are not aliens, uh, beings from other planets or, or so forth. They're demons that are coming to deceive people. And they know exactly what they're doing. They've been doing it for thousands of years. Uh, man is, you know, so easily deceived. Now, back in Revelation chapter 13, I want to look just briefly at the mark of the beast and the technologies that are now in place to bring about this prophecy, this unbelievable prophecy that was written 2,000 years ago about a technology that would be in place in the last days by which you would not be able to buy or sell or participate in the economy without taking a mark on your right hand or on your forehead. Revelation chapter 13, verse 15 says this, And there was given to him to give breath to the image of the beast, that the image of the beast might even speak and cause as many as do not worship the image of the beast to be killed. And he causes all, the small and the great, the rich and the poor, the free men and the slaves, to be given a mark on their right hand or on their forehead. And he provides that no one should be able to buy or to sell, except the one who has the mark, either the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast. For the number is that of a man, and his number is 666." It's interesting that the number 13 has come to be known as a bad luck number. And all of this happens in the 13th chapter of the book of Revelation. Probably, you know, uh, the most, you know, uh, obviously satanic chapter in the Bible where Satan's man is here on the earth, ruling the earth, forcing everybody to worship him or he kills them. It's the 13th chapter of the book of Revelation. Uh, the number 666, you know, it's become very popular for people to tattoo 666 on their bodies and to propagate 666 and, and so forth. Um, we don't really know exactly what it means. People speculate. I guess the people who were alive here at the time will know what the 666 is. It'll be very clear to them uh, that if they take that, they are now going to be tied to this Antichrist and they're going to follow him uh, all the way to hell. Uh, but the number six in biblical numerology, is the number of man. The number seven is the number of perfection. The number of one is the number of God. The number of three is the number of the Trinity, the triunity of God. 
Uh, and so you have number eight is the number of new beginnings. Number 10 is the number of judgment or testimony and so forth. Number 12 is the number of government. And, and so you have biblical numerology. Uh, and the number six is the number of man in biblical numerology. So when you take the number six, which is man, and then you put it three times in a row, which is the number of the Trinity, you're basically saying that man has become God. Man has become the Trinity and and has taken the place of God, which is exactly what Satan is going to deceive the world into believing, that he is God. Uh, It is interesting that uh, the mark of the beast, which is 666, here is wisdom, let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for the number is that of a man, and his number is 666, is in which verse? In the 13th chapter. It's in verse 18, which is 666. And so, you know, Satan, uh, Satan is going to come and he is going to deceive the world with uh, this lie, with this great delusion that he is God that has come down to the earth. And the Antichrist is going to uh, pretend to be Jesus Christ, and the world is going to fall for it, hook, line, and sinker. Now, the Bible says that the mark will identify man, and will, uh, we know now that, that it will also track man, that this mark is not just going to be something that will exclude you or include you into the economic system, which it clearly will do, but we know with the technology today that this mark will also track you which is how the Antichrist is going to be able to make sure that everybody takes this identifying mark. And if you do not, you will uh, basically be hunted down. You will be locked up uh, and you will ultimately be beheaded uh, by the Antichrist if you don't take the mark. However, if you do take the mark, you will go to hell. So if you're here during the tribulation period, if you're not a Christian, you're not born again, or if we're wrong about our doctrine about the pre-tribulation rapture and we're all here for this when it happens, uh, let me just make it very clear. uh, You are not to take any mark onto or into your right hand or your forehead that would be issued by a government official claiming to be Jesus Christ. Because if you do, uh, there is no hope for you for salvation at that point. In Revelation chapter 14, verse 9, we're told this about the mark of the beast. And another angel, a third one, followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and his image and receives a mark on his forehead or upon his hand, he will also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is mixed in full strength in the cup of his anger, and he will be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. Verse 11, And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest day and night, those who worship the beast and his image and whoever receives the mark of his name. And so at that point in time, And and by the way, people are already putting computer chips into their bodies. They're taking chips into their hands or the palm of their hands, and they are using these chips in order to open doors, open their computers, and so forth. It's happening throughout Europe. It's happening back in New York. It's, It's actually become very popular. They have chipping parties 
where you go and you get a computer chip uh, implanted into you uh, and then you don't need passwords anymore. It unlocks everything for you. So we're already here, guys. We're here. How did the Bible know about this 2,000 years ago? That there would be a technology that would be in place that would be able to track people's movements. By the way, you're all tracked everywhere you go with your cell phone right now. Um, your cell phone is pinging to the towers and to the satellites. And that's you know, why you know, in forensic files and when they're prosecuting terrorist cases, they know exactly where people are because of the pinging of their cell phones. And so we are already being tracked with our phones, which we take everywhere that we go, you know. And so it's all in place, guys. I mean, this is already here. It's just, you know, I believe that it's the fact that the church is still here on planet Earth, that, that the church and the Holy Spirit within the church is restraining and holding back the evil one from coming and to bringing his full plan to planet Earth. But anyone who takes the mark will be damned uh, eternally, clearly. Now, the technology is, is accelerating so quickly with artificial intelligence and with um, you know, them believing that we're going to get to a place of singularity. Tech giants will talk about it, Google and Amazon and things, that we're close to hitting singularity. Singularity is where computers begin to actually think for themselves. And they say it's just a matter of time before computers are smart enough to begin to reason for themselves, think for themselves, and then really they won't need man anymore. Uh, because they're, they're going to have the ability to reason for themselves and think for themselves. They call it singularity. Um, but the technology is just accelerating like never uh, before in, in history. I have an article. Uh, China is actually the leader. No surprise there, really. Uh, but China is the leader of artificial intelligence technology and facial recognition technology. By the way, I have a phone that I don't need a password for. It's an iPhone. All it does is look at me and then it unlocks. So it's facial recognition. I don't have to put in a code. It used to be you put your thumbprint on the phone and it opened. Now the newer phones, they just look at you and the phone opens for you. Facial recognition technology. I got a credit card in the mail. You know, they send you a new card every now and again. And the new card, you don't even have to use the computer chip. You don't have to use the magnetic swipe. You just wave your card over the reader and it reads it. Or you tap it on the top and it reads your credit card, and it takes the money out uh, of your account. And so all of this technology, we're using it already. Imagine when Satan takes it over. Uh, so this is an article that I want to read just a little bit of it to you. From January 8th, 2020, from uh, Prophecy News Watch. And the title of the article is, What Happens When You Merge Artificial Intelligence, Facial Recognition, and Social Credit? China wants to give its prisoners, quote-unquote population, the ability to pay with their faces to ride subways. This will be combined with its social credit program, which already tracks the communist nation's citizens traveling, and if points are too low, it prevents travel. The new program, which must have been assembled from George Orwell's apparent instruction manual, 1984, is slowly rolling out throughout China in several cities, the standard reported. In Shenzhen, China, the city has released a new government system for elderly Chinese. This new program will allow residents of China over the age of 60 to register for free subway rides using just their face as their ticket. If you think that this is just a one-off, you would be utterly wrong. 
This form of facial recognition is already being experimented in other cities, including Jinan, Shanghai, and Nanjing, according to the South China Morning Post. China is planning to merge its 170 plus million security cameras. They have 170 plus million security cameras uh, in China today. With artificial intelligence and facial recognition technology, to create a mega surveillance state. This compounds with China's social credit system that ranks citizens based on their behavior and rewards and punishes depending on those scores. The effort of using facial recognition as a ticket, especially as an incentive, is spreading across the world. That's not all. Even retail is pushing to forcefully indoctrinate society to use facial recognition technology as an anti-theft mechanism to be introduced in a thousand or, or thousands of stores using biometric software face-first to build a database of shoplifters, as Activist Post reported. Lately, Big Brother has been pushing the use of surveillance technology, from Amazon helping law enforcement with its facial recognition software, uh, DHS wanting to use it for border control, to the Olympics wanting to use the tech for security. Further, some of the biggest airports in the United States, estimated at 16 airports across the nation, are now scanning us as we board international flights. Customs and Border Patrol expects to scale up the program to cover more than 97% of passengers flying outside of the U.S., by 2021, according to NextGov. In 2017, the Homeland Security clarified their position on domestic spying, stating that Americans who do not want their faces scanned leaving the country, quote, shouldn't travel, unquote. This nightmarish reality, if it comes to fruition, will see everyone scrutinized and their bio-identics in numerous government databases. This would allow anyone access to our biometrics at any single point in time, whether that's our fingerprints, our face, voice, or financial purchases for advertisers. Chinese scientists have recently developed an artificial intelligence-enabled 500-megapixel cloud camera that's capable of panoramic capture of an entire stadium with the ability to target a single individual in an instant, Global Times reports, they have a camera that can look at a stadium full of people. What do you get in the stadium? 80,000, 100,000 people? And they could see the whole crowd and zoom in on one individual and know who every individual is in that crowd. There is also technology which has evolved the facial recognition industry by being able to identify a person within a matter of seconds from a database of people, even if only their, uh, if only partial, uh, f their partial face is visible, CNBC reported. Um, the evolution of facial recognition technology is further documented by researchers at the University of Bradford, and they have found that facial recognition technology works even when half the face is visible, according to Eurek Alert. If Americans aren't careful, we will soon have the same surveillance state and facial recognition dystopia that Chinese citizens now have in, uh, in 2020. 
Already facial recognition cameras are being suggested to be installed in subways, trains, and bus stations, like recently in New York. Earlier this year, the head of MTA's finance committee, Larry Schwartz, called for the installation of surveillance cameras and facial recognition technology to catch and deter criminals. So we could all agree we want all the bad guys to be caught and taken out of society and put in jail. But who determines who the bad guys are? The government does. And so when the devil takes over the government, guess who's going to be the bad guys? The Christians or the ones, the tribulation saints at that point, the ones who will not follow uh, the devil. Now, the third thing I want to look at here is uh, deviant sexual behavior as predicted to be the case in the end times in the last days, because I think that that is a huge thing we're seeing uh, taking place right before our eyes. In Revelation chapter 9 and verse 21, we're told, And they did not repent of their murders, nor of their sorceries, or pharmakia, nor of their sexual immorality, nor of their thefts. Now the word, word here for sexual immorality, or some translations just say immorality, uh, is the Greek word porneo. And porneo, of course, is where we get the English word pornography from. Uh, but porneo really is a universal Greek word to include all sexual deviancy, all sex outside of a monogamous heterosexual marriage is forbidden by God. Uh, the Bible says that the marriage bed is undefiled, but fornicators, those who practice porneo, and adulterers, God will judge in Hebrews chapter 13. And so uh, part of what will be the condition of the last days is going to be this sexual deviant behavior. Porneo is going to be rampant in the last days and people are not going to repent of their fornications or their sexual uh, deviancy or their forbidden sexual practice, forbidden by God. God gets to make the rules. He created us. He gets to tell us what the rules are. Anything that we do that's against God's rules uh, is sin and it's perversion. Uh, this would include pornography. This would include adultery. This would include heterosex outside of marriage. This would include bisexuality. This would include homosexuality. And this would include transgender, where you're changing your gender from one to another to practice uh, sex as a different gender. Now, this is not politically correct, guys, but it's the truth from God's word. Any deviancy to God's natural order of the male-female uh, sexual relationship within the confines and the safety of marriage is forbidden by God. God's not picking on the bisexuals or the homosexuals or the transgenders or the people into pornography. God is just basically making the rules. He says all sex is forbidden if it's outside of a monogamous heterosexual marriage. Now, I want to address the idea of the gay gene. You know, it kind of you know, it kind of hit the news and then nobody ever heard about it again. They did a massive study in Europe with over 500,000 gay men over a period of decades and the the scientists came to the determination that there is no gay gene. People are not born gay. How many of you heard that news article? Unless you heard it from me, you probably didn't hear about it. They just kind of tucked it away. Uh, but it was, it was the most exhaustive study, 
really incontestable study, there is no gay gene. People are not born gay at all. There's no genetic reason for people to practice uh, homosexuality. Now, I'm going to read to you because this is something that it's such a big issue uh, you know, with politically correct speech and hate speech and all of this. Look, the Bible says that uh, homosexuality is a sin. Bisexuality is a sin. Uh, heterosexual sex outside of marriage is a sin. Looking at pornography to be stim- stimulated sexually in pornography is a sin. All of that is covered by God in the Bible. It's all sin. So God's not picking on gays or lesbians or anyone else. Uh, but it is, it is a practice and a behavior that's forbidden by God in the Scriptures. Now, this is, this is from an article in Time Magazine, not a Christian news source, for sure. Time Magazine. August 29th, 2019. The author is Jamie uh, Duhamari. And uh, this is what it says. There's no, the title is this. There's no such thing as a gay gene, a study argues. Genetics can't fully explain sexual activity. In 1993, researchers discovered a stretch of DNA on the X chromosome they believed to be linked to male homosexuality. In the years since, the concept of a gay gene has been a source of debate within both the scientific community and the general public, inspiring even larger follow-up studies over the years. A new study published in Science, thought to be the most comprehensive on the topic, adds important information to that back and forth. After studying the DNA of nearly a half a million people with varying sexual experiences, the researchers found no evidence of a single gay gene. The researchers examined genotyping data and self-reported sexual histories from almost 500,000 people of both sexes who were either participating in the genetic research projects like the UK Biobank study or had purchased genetic testing products from 23andMe and consented to inclusion in the study. Among the human genomes, approximately 30,000 genes, the researchers who have previously presented research on this topic found five variants related to same-sex sexual activity, though each one only minimally influenced an individual's sexuality. Environmental factors, which include everything from a person's upbringing to where they live today, likely account for the rest. So what did they just say? They said there's 30,000 genes that make up a human being, and there's only five genes out of 30,000 that were common among people that practiced uh, homosexuality. That is, not a, that is not a genetic link to this behavior. It says, despite the genetic link, the five uh, genes that they talked about, an individual's genome cannot fully predict his or her sexual preferences, the authors say. Quote, individual level prediction is not going to be a reality, unquote says the study co-author Benjamin Neely, a geneticist at Massachusetts General Hospital. The study did, however, provide some clues as to how genetics could relate to same-sex sexual behaviors. One variant, for example, was located on a stretch of DNA that's also home to genes related to the sense of smell. 
which previous research has suggested may be linked to sexual preferences. The researchers also found genetic overlap with traits that could predispose people to mental health issues, which are disproportionately common in the LGBTQ community and risk-taking behavior, which could theoretically include sexual exploration. I'm going to read that again. The researchers also found genetic overlap with traits that could predispose people to mental health issues, which are disproportionately common in the LGBTQ community and to risk-taking behavior, which could theoretically include sexual exploration. They're taking risks sexually and then they fall into homosexuality or bisexuality. Quote, same-sex sexual behavior is very polygenic, unquote, says Andrea Ghana, an instructor of Massachusetts General Hospital. The research suggests that measures like the Kinsey scale, which argue that sexuality exists on a spectrum from totally gay to totally straight, are overly simplistic. Quote, from a genetic standpoint, there is no single continuum from opposite sex to same-sex sexual behaviors. There is no dimension in which the more someone is attracted to the same sex, the less they're attracted to the opposite sex, unquote. Gana says. Andrea Gana, the instructor at Massachusetts General Hospital. This is not a Christian study, guys. This is a scientific study. There is no gay gene. Another article. How gay are you? The app claims to analyze DNA to determine sexual preference. It can't do that. This is from Mike Magazine, MIC, from September of 2019. Earlier this year, a groundbreaking study that looked at the genetic makeup of more than 500,000 people determined that there is no singular quote-unquote gay gene that serves as a reliable predictor of a person's sexuality. Instead, there are a series of genetic markers that help to influence a person's sexual identity, and there is no definite indicator of someone's sexual preferences based on DNA. Despite that research, a new startup is claiming that it could determine the likelihood that someone is gay by analyzing the results of commercial DNA tests like 23andMe or MyHeritage. To be clear, there is no scientific evidence to back up this claim, but that isn't stopping Insolent.ai from making it. In the case of how gay are you, it'll supposedly tell you, well, how gay you are. Except, of course, it won't. In fact, the Insolent.ai doesn't even claim to have the capabilities to do so in its own app description. It's not even clear how the app would be able to produce such a result even if it wanted to. Instead, what it does is place you on a spectrum based on how closely your genetic profile matches those of people who are known to be attracted to people of the same sexual identity. At best, how gay are you is a silly and pointless app. Again, this is not a Christian source of material. There is no gay gene. A third article, quickly. This is from Inside Science magazine. The title, The Gay Gene is a Total Myth, Massive Study 
concludes. The author is Charles Q. Coy, the life science contributor, August 29th, 2019. He says, No individual gene alone makes a person gay, lesbian, or bisexual. A massive new study of the genomes of nearly half a million people suggests. But a precise genetic basis for sexual orientation has been elusive, largely because scientists previously had relatively small groups of volunteers to investigate. The new study, however, included a much larger number of participants, making the results more statistically reliable than those of the previous smaller studies. In the largest genetic study of sexual orientation to date, scientists studied a group of about 470,000 volunteers. Quote, to give you a sense of the scale of the data, this is approximately 100 times bigger than previous studies on this topic, unquote. Study lead author Andrew, Andrea Ghana, a researcher at the Institute for Molecular Medicine in Finland and Massachusetts General Hospital and Harvard Medical School, told Life Science. The researchers could not find any one gene linked with same-sex sexual behavior. Five genetic variants did appear significantly linked to sexual orientation. Five out of 30,000. Five out of 30,000 genetic variants did appear significantly linked to sexual orientation. In the end, the scientists could not find any genetic patterns that could be used in any way to identify a person's sexual orientation. Quote, it's effectively impossible to predict an individual's sexual behavior from their genome, unquote, says study co-author Ben Neely, a statistical geneticist at the Broad Institute of MIT and Harvard, told Life Science. I could go on, but for the sake of time, I won't. There is no gay gene. So what does that mean? It means that it's a choice, like we've always said. It's a choice that people make. It's probably largely determined by their upbringing, by their environment. As a matter of fact, uh, we saw that there was a propensity to mental illness, risk-taking behavior. That's a fact among uh, the, the gay community or the L, uh, LGBTQ community. And uh, guys, this is not to slam anyone or to judge anyone. I'm not anyone's judge. But the Bible says that this behavior is forbidden. The Bible says that this behavior is not allowed. It's a perversion of the natural order of how God made man. Certainly not the unforgivable sin, but it is a sin nonetheless. In 1 Corinthians and chapter 6, Paul the Apostle says this. Verse 9. Or do you not know that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers shall inherit the kingdom of God. And so the Bible lumps homosexual practice right in there with adultery, right in there with fornication or people that practice pornography or porneo, uh, idolatry, um, practice of being effeminate, thieves, those who steal, covetous, 
those who covet what somebody else has, drunkards, those who drink to excess, uh, revilers and swindlers, those who are causing trouble, revilers and swindlers, ripping people off, tricking people. So it's, it's not, God's not picking on the homosexuals. There's a whole bunch of people that are listed here that are sinners. And the Bible says that if you practice these sins, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. But, but, verse 11 says, and such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. So what is God saying? He's saying that homosexuality is not the unforgivable sin. Neither is thievery or swindling or pornography or adultery. It's just one of many sins that we must repent of, we must turn away from, and we must surrender our life to Christ. And Paul is saying in the group that he was writing to there in Corinth, primarily Gentile Greek church in Corinth, very uh, wealthy city uh, in Rome and and really part of the, the, the... the Greek area of the Roman Empire. He says, such were some of you. Some of you out there, he says, used to be a homosexual. You used to practice this. You used to do these things. Such were some of you. But, but you were washed. You were sanctified, set apart for God's use. You were justified, uh, made righteous, declared righteous by God in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and the spirit of our God. Guys, we have to love people into the kingdom. We have to love people into the kingdom. There are going to be more and more people of the younger generation that are going to be experimenting with aberrant sexual behavior that maybe makes us uncomfortable. But we have to love the sinner even as we hate the sin. And we have to show them the love of God that brings man to repentance. We have to love them enough to speak the truth in love to them and tell them, look, you weren't born this way. Science has proven there's no gay gene homosexuality is one sin among many. It's not the unforgivable sin. It's just one sin among many. But it is a sin that has to be repented of and forsaken for the child of God. Such were some of you. One more scripture here, and then we have to finish. In Romans chapter 2, verse 1, Paul the Apostle says this, Therefore, Romans 2, 1, You are without excuse, every man of you who passes judgment. For in that you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. And we know that the judgment of God rightly falls upon those who practice such things. And do you suppose this, O man, when you pass judgment upon those who practice such things and do the same yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? The kindness of God brings man to repentance. People don't come to Christ because you tell them how terrible of a sinner they are and how much God hates them by judging others. In other words, if you want to judge somebody, judge yourself. Look in the mirror. Take the beam out of your own eye first, Jesus said, before you pass judgment on the speck that's in your brother's eye. God is the judge, not you or me. We have to be faithful to God's word to speak the truth in love, but I'm no one's judge. We're supposed to love people into the kingdom and let them know that God loves them and God has better for them. And God can make them part of his family and and make you part of his 
body, the body of Christ, make you his bride, the bride of Christ. None of us are righteous, guys. The Bible says, Jesus says, if you look upon another with lust, you've committed adultery. So he pretty much condemns the whole planet. If you've ever once in your life looked with lust, even when you were a teenager or something, upon anyone else, the Bible says you are an adulterer. And adulterers, God will judge. So, you know, be careful when you begin to throw stones or you begin to judge others based on your own standards of your righteousness. Because your righteousness is like filthy rags before a holy God. And so is mine. And so it all comes back to Jesus Christ. Jesus took our sins, all of the sins of the world, and took the punishment on the cross of Calvary so that we don't have to be punished for our sins. He came to give us life and to give us joy and to give us purpose and to give us meaning and to write our names into the Lamb's book of life so that we know that we have eternal life. Once this life is over, we go to be with him. We go to glory where we have eternal life, abundant life forever and ever and ever. Guys, this is kind of a heavy topic, this last message, uh, but it's very, very important that we understand um, that the Bible is true. God's word is the truth. And so we don't have to apologize for God's word. Sometimes God's people misrepresent God, use his word as a weapon to tear people down and to beat people up. And that ought not to be the case. That was the way the Pharisees were. And the Pharisees, the legalists, were the ones who killed Jesus. We don't want to be like that. We don't want to be legalistic Pharisees, sin sniffers looking for trouble everywhere we go and trying to expose people for how rotten they are. If you want to expose someone for how rotten they are, look in the mirror and look at yourself and you'll find plenty of sin in yourself. You don't have to judge others. We just have to love others and speak the truth to them. Tell them that God loves them. God has a better plan for their life and God came to save Sinners, just like you and me. We all want to thank you for listening. If this message has blessed you, as we all pray that it has, send the link to this podcast to your friends. Working together, we can get Michael's teaching of the whole of God's inerrant word to all those who hunger to hear it. If you would like to see this ministry expand to reach even more of the broken and lost, if you have questions, comments, and prayer requests, email us at coahpodcast at gmail.com. We would be honored to pray for you, as we hope you are praying for us. Good day and God bless from City on a Hill Church to Hatchapi, California.